Good morning. How are we doing this morning? That's kind of loud. I'm sure we're going to figure it out here shortly. I'm Rob. Uh, if you don't know who I am, who I am, good. To, really excited to be with you this morning. We got Pastor Aaron and Sarah are away this weekend, and Jason and some others are away leading worship with a youth gathering as well. So it's it's a, a bit of a different um, environment in here. I think this morning. Obviously, we got Thanksgiving week this week. We had the cello, which has been wonderful. I think Alyssa's mom, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been tremendous. I don't know about you, but it brings a certain kind of reverence with that, just that deep, just a beautiful feeling the space, and so thanks. I, I also have to admit that after being, Carrie and I were gone last weekend, and so you go back a couple weeks back, was our fifth anniversary, and this place was packed, and it feels a bit kind of small and, and, and family in here today, which I enjoy. And so I'm going to maybe shake some things up a little bit by coming down and getting a little closer, because I actually do like this kind of dynamic. Now, sorry for the camera. I know this is going to change it for you, but we'll catch up, I'm sure. Um, maybe bring the house lights up a little bit as well. So, so today we're continuing the second week of this Sorry Not Sorry series, a, a short little thing where we're hitting a few of these. Last week we looked at Ananias and Sapphira with Pastor Aaron, and today we're going to look at Stephen. And, and this, this places us squarely in the book of Acts, and so I think it's really important for context, that is, what's going on in Acts, for us to, to pay attention to that. The other thing I'm going to do today, because I really do enjoy kind of some, some conversation, and, and you know, typically we, we preach, we come up here, and we prepare a message, and it's pretty well one, one direction, except for when I see you nodding off, right? That's, that's obviously feedback as well. So if, if there is something this morning that we're talking through, and you're like, what, what are you talking about? Or I've got a question, let's have the discussion. I welcome if we kind of get off track a little bit, and, and we'll get it back eventually. But, but I would welcome that. So I enjoy some feedback, and we're going to talk about Stephen here. And this is one where Stephen and the early church, because keep in mind here what's going on. We're not too far back from the day of Pentecost, right? That is when, when after Jesus death and his resurrection, and they're all gathered, and they're all hiding, and the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes in a new way. The day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God, the new church, the Christian church, the, the fulfillment of what the law and the prophets was always talking about is now happening in a new way. And they're all gathered, and as Peter preaches, the Spirit comes, and everybody hears in their own language. And the Spirit comes to reside and live with individual believers in a new way. Fulfilling, really challenging those who have come from, well, from the Jews, Israel, the history, the law and the prophets. What is this all about? And so Acts is really, the, especially the first half of it, is really just, there's this wrestling of, of what is the new church like or not like? We've got Peter and many that are going out and they're preaching in the synagogues and they're going to those who knew the old ways and they're telling about this, this new thing that is in Christ and some are being converted and some are, are not. And so this conflict, this tension is extremely, extremely acute. It is, it is ripe. And we hear how as the church is going forth and the, the apostles are leading, there's, there's more going on and so they have to appoint more people to come together and help out with the message that is being carried forth. And so this, this really specific, in many ways, I think this is the spirit. This is God saying, this is of the church. This is not of the church, of the new way. And this is what's happening in the book of Acts. And so 
in that context, it's different than we find ourselves today. So I think we need to listen to it, appreciate it for what it is in the context of Acts, and then take a little time and try to figure out what it might mean for us. Okay, so we're going to go and listen to the narrative from Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7. God's power was on Stephen. Several Jewish groups tried to debate him, but they found that there was no match for him in wisdom and power. They decided to spread lies about him and say that he blasphemed God. These rumors spread throughout the city until guards went and took him to the governing council. Men stood up and lied about him. They said, he said that Jesus is going to tear down the temple and change everything that Moses gave us. They turned and looked at Stephen, when suddenly his face became like that of an angel, and the high priest spoke up. Are you guilty of these things? Stephen answered, God said to Abraham, leave your country and go to a place that I will show you. Stephen continued by giving a brief history of Israel. He told how God promised to give Abraham the land and make his descendants into a great nation. Finally, he said, you are rebellious people with cold hearts. You resist the Holy Spirit just like your forefathers did. They persecuted all of the prophets and now you're walking in their footsteps. You betrayed and murdered the righteous one. The council flew into a rage. They cried out against him. Through it all, the Holy Spirit controlled Stephen. Suddenly he looked up and said, The heavens are opening and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The crowds put their hands over their ears and screamed as loud as they could. They grabbed Stephen and took him out of the city and threw him on the ground. They gave their coats to a young man named Saul. They took a large stone and threw it at Stephen. While the stones were hitting him, Stephen looked up and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he prayed, Lord, forgive them for all their sin. With that, he fell beneath the blows and died. This started a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Saul led a mob that pulled men and women out of their homes and threw them into prison. Because of this, many believers left Jerusalem and went to the surrounding areas. Still, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So as we hear about Stephen, Stephen is identified as the first, what of the church? The first martyr, right? He's the first one, and, and early in this narrative and what's happening about this, the church is going forth, this is what's at stake here. This is what's happening. And we hear from Luke's telling of what's going on here next that they were spreading lies about him. They were threatened by Stephen. And so those that were in leadership and were threatened by him were starting to spread lies. And when he was given the chance to defend himself, what did he do? He didn't actually defend himself, but in fact just took back to a common history with them. He went back to Abraham. He went back to what they all would have known so very, very well. That is their own history. They would have known it intimately. And he goes back to Abraham, and he talks about Moses, and the narrative of what had happened about and with God's people of old. And this, this is their, we can't relate to this very well, but this would have been their common story. The people of God, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews would have been defined by this. And, and so he takes them all the way back to that, and he says, and you are the ones who have killed the righteous one, right? And the response is, well, we see it. The response is, we see from here in Acts chapter 7, that what do they do? The folks, they cover their ears, they take him out, and they stone him. 
as Acts tells us, and let's get the next slide up there, they put on their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Now, I think within the context of our sermon series here, do you think at this point Stephen was sorry for what he had done? Could he have been in this position? I'm not sure he's reflecting on it this way. The sorry, not sorry. Because what Stephen did is he confronted them with the truth of their sin, of their rebellion. And as we've been told, even early on in the Christian church, many are coming to believe. Certainly this is a story which is led by those who who were not converted, at least at this point. This is a story about those who were not converted, but in fact were challenged, were, were challenged in such a strong way to what they hold so dearly about their history and their very meaning as a people that they would take him out and stone him, that they would take his life because of the message that he was conveying. I don't believe if we had an occasion for Stephen to reflect on what happened that he would would have been sorry for the message he sent. I think, yes, for the nature of the pain and what it caused, and and obviously there was those who loved Stephen, that he was taken from them, but conveying the truth in a way that causes a reaction, I believe that Stephen would have trusted in God's message, that Stephen would have known, maybe not at that point, but at some point, it's going to be used for God's purposes. And again, go back to the context. Here we are in a very, very challenging time for the church. A very challenging time because it's so early and this is so new. And people are hearing these things and trying to struggle with what it means for me, for me, for us as a people. What about from God's perspective? See, Stephen was one of the ones who, when they needed some more help, the leaders, the apostles chose a few more to help, and Stephen was one of them. So he had just come to this here recently. He didn't have a very long tenure. And very quickly, he is thrust in the very middle of this conflict. What about from God's perspective? Is there a sorry, not sorry? Well, I mean, we'll never know. I guess I'd like to speculate and talk about these things a little bit. I believe that, that no doubt God weeps and he, is, he mourns at sin and the impact of sin in this life, what it brings with brokenness and, and, and death, the result of sin and the curse. But yet, did he get a message forth in a very compelling way that would have caused people to stop and think about really what is faith? Why are we here? What are we doing with this? How does this define who we are? I think it probably accomplished that. Think about where we are for the early Christians as well. From their perspective, they've been called into this thing. We hear in Acts about how they gather together and they share their possessions and they're, they're in this. It, it is the very life of them, this fellowship and, and breaking bread and praying together. They're living life together. And one of their own goes and gives the message of the hope that is in Christ and is killed because of it. And yet in the midst of that, we hear, what does Stephen do? We're, being, we're told that he, his face shines like that of Jesus, that, that he, he speaks out, Father, forgive them. Maybe echoing back to words that we hear on the cross of Christ. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
So these early Christians who were, are just days and weeks and months from Christ's own death, resurrection, the day of Pentecost, are trying to share this message. And yet, it really is a matter of life and death, not just in this world, but for eternity as well. I really believe that this episode with Stephen is, is, is included for us. I, there's there's got to be incredible persecution going on at this time within the Christian church and for many years to come. And this would have been a message about what, what are we as God's people called to, to share this message and what might be the outcome and what might be the price we pay in this life to be faithful to what God has called us to. Sorry? Not sorry? I think there's arguments, there's conversations to have on both sides of this. And based on where you, where you are, whether you were that early Christian and seeing this happening, or we're here today, some 2,000 years later, there's a discussion to have here. Is anybody concerned that we will walk out of church today and there'll be a thug, a gang of thugs waiting to take one or a few of us out and stone us today? Is anybody worried about sharing your faith in a way that you might get be stoned out, outside the city? I, I'm not. I mean, it, besides this narrative, it's never really kind of entered my mind. Maybe you're different than I, I am, but I, it's not something we probably consider a whole lot. So, so 2,000 years later, how do we find connections with what, what Stephen and what those folks are going through in this part of the narrative for us about how we, we should convey ourselves this this idea of what it means to live in the faith. Well, I think the first thing we have to at least confess is that there is one salvation for all. There is one plan of salvation for all. That is to say, from the beginning and the Old Testament and from the very fall all the way up and through Christ, his death, his resurrection. And today, it's one plan of salvation, folks. One plan lived out in very different contexts. In Stephen's time, obviously, there was a concern that if you spoke too boldly and too loudly, if you were misunderstood, if, you were, if they challenged you incorrectly, that your life actually was, was possibly at, at stake there. I, generally speaking, in the U.S., that is not our concern today, about losing our life for our faith. In many parts of the world, that still exists for the Christian faith, absolutely many, many parts of the world that still exists. But in our context here in the U.S., it's probably a different situation. It's probably a bit more, a bit more about lukewarmness. We're able to give lip service to what we believe and really aren't held to account for it. You really don't have to put it on the line. But yet it's still the same salvation plan once and for all. And so I can, I'd wrap this up this way, that the way we talk about salvation, it goes from, from sin and death, from the very beginning of, of the rebellion of Adam and Eve and the curse which brings that, Christ in the middle of it, people in the Old Testament looking forward to Christ, and for us on this side of it, looking back to Christ and his cross. And so the one salvation for all is sin and death, Christ at the middle and then living life and faith as we look forward to the resurrection. And we find ourselves, though it's one plan, in this place we have to figure out what does this mean? So how do we do? How are we doing about sharing our faith? 
about the context of, of being present with people, about gathering with folks and sharing about who Christ is in our life. How are we doing? Are we struggling with that? Is it hard to do? Do we feel like we need all the answers? What if they ask a question? Well, I can't quote this or that. I, um, I have the joy with, with work, and one of the reasons why we kind of come and go is I get to travel uh, around the world for work. And what's fun and a bit of, I don't plan it necessarily, but as I share my story, that is to say I was in the business world for quite a while, left and went to seminary, was away from the business world for seven years between seminary and four years of full-time ministry, and then came back to the business world. I don't lead with, hey, I'm Rob, I'm an ordained minister, and I work in the energy industry. But as we sit down and we have conversations and we share a meal and we talk about life and family, it tends to come out. Oh, I was away from the industry for seven years. Oh, well, what'd you do? Well, I went to seminary and I'm a pastor. Wait, say that again? <laughs> and the other fun part is actually the company I was with before I went to seminary is the one I'm back with now, which, I mean, we can talk all day about God's plans. It's quite uh, amazing. But just sitting and being with him, and I will say that I... I didn't have the, the ability, the posture, the position to be able to sit and, and really have people challenge my faith very well before I went to seminary. And that's not to say that somehow going to seminary solves that for people. It really, for me, it was a comfort level of being able to be present and know what I believe so well that I can be in any situation with folks and, and love them for who they are. I wasn't in that place as a younger believer before Carrie and I and the kids went to seminary many years ago. But I have an appreciation for just being present with people today and just sharing who we are. I know at Oikos here, we, we talk a lot about what does it mean to be you know, on mission and family. And I think that part of what we have to appreciate is what, what Jesus did or what he speaks of in Mark. And let's go to the Mark quote if we would here. So from Mark, Jesus says, as they're early in his ministry, Right? Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, the disciples and other believers and followers. And someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my brother? Who, are, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will is my brother and sister and mother. See, what Jesus does is he takes and he redefines family. The story of salvation, the story of life in Christ, redefines family. And it redefines it in a way that I, I hope that we can grow in talking about faith like our own family history with all of its bumps and bruises and, and celebrations and complete failures, that we can be present in a way to talk about it and know it in a way to be comfortable. The family is always a great analogy for most anything. What happens if you're inviting somebody new at Thanksgiving on Thursday, if you're inviting a friend to come join you and you've got, you know, Uncle Hal who's been, he's that kind of a little bit off. What do you do before they come for the meal? You, you take him and you say, hey, okay, so I'm glad you're joining, but let me just tell you about Uncle Hal, right? He's a mess at times. 
Uh, he kind of goes in and out a little bit, right? It's kind of like, you guys have seen Christmas Vacation, right? When they ask him to do the blessing and this kind of, it's, you know, Uncle Hal, he just, just, we just love on him. It's okay. Well, we tell them ahead of time. And then when they come in and they become part of the family and they're there with us experiencing that meal, we might talk to them afterwards and say, well, that was a new experience with Uncle Hal this year. Or, you know, how'd you feel? Was that okay? So I think we, we tend to do this naturally in life in many ways, but yet we don't do it so well with the church. Here at Oikos, we talk about MCs, our missional communities and gathering, really discipling and coming together. And I think we do that very well in those places. We nurture relationships. We talk about life. We, we share together. I'm not sure, just being candid, that we do it as well in this space. I think we welcome folks when they come in that we maybe haven't met before. But there's a lot of things that we do, folks, that don't make any sense if it's your first Sunday here. We're going to do one of them today. It's called the Lord's Supper, right? We had the creed today. We kind of started a little rough on that one. We were speaking, speaking it. We're listening to it, right? There's just things that we do that I think we need to admit. It's okay to give people an invitation to participate. Right? Kind of step in a little bit. They might step back out. We have to be willing to say, sorry, but not sorry. If in faith it redefines the family in a way that we do this together, in a way that is eternal in Christ through the Spirit being bound together, if that's what we are, we have to be willing to confront things and be honest about them including our own challenges, but not in a way that we have to be dismissive of it. Or, you know what, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. Those things become dangerous. It's the little bits that we don't know a day, 10 days, 10 years down the road that have mushroomed into something that's huge that we don't know how to go back and fix it. The little things we see and observe, it's easier to step into it you know, when it's still kind of small. Okay, how are we doing right now? I'm going to check in. I'm trying to see if anybody's dozing off that feedback thing right now. No? Okay, we're doing pretty well. Am I raising questions for anybody? See, I give people the invitation. We're out of the practice of thinking in a way that you're engaging. You're just used to being talked at. I'm sorry to say it that way. Isn't it? Yeah, I think it's kind of somber. This one—it's kind of—we find it's kind of gray out. We're kind of, you know. Let's go to the last slide, if we would. What I want us to talk about a bit more is that what does it look like for the family to be on mission? That's what this is. As we talk about the context of of what we see first in Acts, and as this is being lived out for those people in that place, and Stephen, and in the family moving forward and being willing to, to speak directly in situations that could be challenging, to just be present to where we are today in a whole different context, what does it look like for a family to be on mission? Well, Pastor Aaron, if you were here a couple weeks back, kind of set out a pretty big one for us, didn't he? What do you talk about? How many churches? A hundred. Well, maybe a thousand churches, a hundred. No, it's a hundred churches, and how many MCs? And how long? Five years. Wow. Are we, have, we, have we let that settle in a little bit yet? 
Now, granted, there's going to be a lot of work about how, you, how do you define that participation and what does that look like, but, but we have to be open to the possibility of what the Lord wants to do in and through the people that are gathered here. Not that somehow we uniquely have it, but we're part of this body. And being willing and able to step into it and say, yeah, I'm, I've got some role to play. Again, I don't know what that role is. I want to participate in a way that I can help usher this forward. I want to be in those situations, and when, when I'm uncomfortable, I can admit it. When I don't have the answer, I can admit it. I want to be present with folks that they are willing to, to talk with me. Because I don't have it all figured out, but I know that I'm the Lord's. And by being the Lord's, I've got something to say, and maybe it's not always with words. Maybe it's just being with people in difficult situations, in challenging times in their life. We're coming into the holidays, and there's no doubt that that can be a really, really great celebratory time for us. Hopefully some time off work if we're working, some time with family, but you know, there's a lot of folks that are really lonely this time of year too. There's a lot of pressures as we build toward hosting or going or the relationship isn't any better than it was a year ago and I got to go see him again at Christmas. We can see those things in our own families pretty well. I hope that we can see them in this family because the Lord wants to be part of that. This family here at Oikos is an opportunity for us to experience that. Maybe you go to an MC over the next six weeks before the end of the year to experience what that fellowship and community can be like. Maybe even thinking about stepping out and leading one. Well, I'm sure we're open for that too. See, a family on mission in many ways just looks like our life, everyday life together. It's just that we know that we go as we are Christ's child. So with that spirit in us from God, we get to be present in a way with a, a, an idea and understanding that we are here on God's behalf. And that does not, should not be more pressure. That should be an opportunity to be something in that place uniquely positioned to be there just to be present, to listen. I struggle with this all the time. In the workplace, I'm always thinking about what's next versus just stopping and being still and being in the conversation I'm in. Anybody struggle with that one? Yeah, I think we all do at times if we're honest. So take an extra moment. Be present. Does everybody have a place to be for Thanksgiving on Thursday? Yeah, okay. If you don't, let's talk. Let's find a place for you to be. Carrie and I will be in town. We'd love to talk with you and get to know you better. We're not hosting, but you can come with us to our friends that we're going to. <laughs> They'd love to welcome you as well. <laughs> but let's just be honest about it, right? I mean, it's an invitation. Carrie and I have been around this gathering, this place called Oikos, for over a year, year and a half. And I have to admit, and this is going to be really candid, we have been hesitant to step all the way in. Anybody seen that in us? Anyone? <laughs> We've been hesitant to step all the way in. Why? I mean, I'd love to chat with you about that. 
a lot of reasons for that. You know, one of the things that for Carrie and I that we've been away from is, is between all of our families out west in California. So we left that to go to seminary in St. Louis, Wisconsin, back to California and her family. The kids graduated from high school and then we came to Houston, just me and Carrie, away from family again. And, and I can tell you that um, Carrie and I have had a lot of really intensive conversations about this. Um, all right, somebody's car. Everybody's checking right now. Is that mine? Is that yours? <laughs> no, Bill, it can't be yours, can it? <laughs> we have, we've had, oh, it's fixed. We've had a lot of conversations about this, about how do we, we struggle with this relationship thing. And I think it's probably in our life, and even though I was part of the full-time ministry, you get into situations and you have expectations that you feel like are unreasonable. And we probably built up, that is Carrie and I, we probably built up kind of defense mechanisms. And now, as I mentioned with my traveling of work, it's an easy one to say, ah, sorry, we can't be there every weekend, which is true, but that doesn't mean we can't step into it all the way. What are the walls that you've built up, either here or somewhere else, that is keeping you from being engaged and being part of the mission? Whatever that looks like. Just being present. You don't need to answer that today, but I think that that's one that Carrie and I continue to struggle with. If, this, if that's a struggle that you have, I would welcome the conversation. And Carrie and I are working on this, right? Stepping in a bit further, right? MC probably in, in the Heights soon and this kind of stuff. And, and I want us, and I'll speak for myself, I want to be more transparent with you. I want to be more open with you about the things that I struggle with the things I said, we can celebrate it together, right? Didn't we talk last week about Ananias and Sapphira, about transparency and honesty, and, and it's just so easy just to, you know, keep folks at this kind of distance. I don't perceive that that's what the church was about in the early years. I think it was really, really intimate. And the reason why is because their actual life was at stake. Ours isn't the same way today like it was back then. So it's easier to do this. I can just kind of stay lukewarm and kind of, you know, tip my toe in once in a while versus all the time. But that's the opportunity we have. And I think as we talk about family, oikos on mission, that's what we're getting at. For us to and really engage and take what the Lord has put before us for 100 churches and 1,000 MCs over the next several years, that's going to be a great opportunity for us to step into those things. And maybe it's just a little bit at a time, but to live out what it looks like as family. Yes, I saw a hand. Yeah, nice. We do a lot of talking. Yep. We talk about 100 churches and 1,000 MCs. And we had good goals and we had nice talks. But what do we do? Great. So comment, if you didn't hear it, and certainly those online didn't hear it. We talk about 100 churches and 1,000 th MCs, and we talk and we talk. But what do we do? Right now we're talking about it. Amen. Let's do something. What do we do? Yes?
Great. We got the kids coming in. Yeah. There's a map that shows where the MCs are. And you start there, is, is what's being said. We've got the kids coming in here. We share and we eat like they're doing right now. So we've got MCs to re refresh on this. We've got MCs that you can participate in. And I get it when we get to 6 o'clock at night, the last thing I want to do is go out. Guilty right here. Sylvia also said that what happens in my own family, my biological family, I've been hurt. I've been hurt enough, the last thing I want to do is go back and get hurt again. Amen to that as well. I, I think, folks, the thing we have to appreciate here, though, and we should admit when we fail, is that within the church, there is something that we have that we can celebrate that Christ has given, and that is an opportunity for us to confront sin, to repent, and to be forgiven. We live in a place because brokenness happens everywhere. What are those? Rocks. Those are rocks? Oh. Don't eat those. Okay. I thought it was food earlier. I was like, oh, they're baking or something. In the church, we live in a place that we can talk about the brokenness and what has caused it. We live in a place where we can say, that hurt me. That hurt me and it still hurts me. And go to someone and talk about it. And I pray that when someone comes to you and says, you hurt me, the response is, I didn't know or, or I meant to, whatever it is. But we admit it and we stop and say, I repent of that, please forgive me to which I forgive you, and so does the Father. And there's reconciliation. And you know what? We do the exact same thing the next day because we're probably going to hurt them again. That is the life of faith, folks. We gather up here like we already did this morning with Ken, and we talk about confession, and we, we receive forgiveness absolution. We don't do that just here in this place. We do that, and we take it with us. We are, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. What the church has offered to the world is unique in all of time and history and all of creation, and that is reconciliation in Christ Jesus for your sins for eternal life. That's why we're here. If you wanted to have some good fellowship, to be really candid, the Texans play at noon, and I guarantee there'll be no judgment there. Unless you're a Tennessee Titan fan. Well, that's next Monday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fellowship is not unique in the world. Fellowship is not unique in the world. You can get great fellowship, great acceptance at the neighborhood bar. You can get amazing connectivity there. I'm not saying that's wrong. What we as God's people uniquely offer is Christ. We offer the Son of God come into this world to walk alongside of us so that we can admit who we are as a sinful, rebellious child, be forgiven and connected and covered in the blood of Christ for all eternity. That's what a family on mission does. That's what oikos is about. 
it can get expressed in all sorts of different ways. I appreciate and I pray that when Pastor Aaron comes back and other leaders come back, we hear what was discussed today, that, okay, we talk about it, and I, I guarantee there's some plans coming. But the plans aren't about someone else doing it for us. It's what are you and I doing. It's a lot easier if someone else does it for us. How do we get involved? How do we take steps to be in conversations with people? Maybe it's just our neighbors. Maybe it's at the workplace. Maybe it's just feeling comfortable to pray with somebody and admit who we are and what we believe. Whatever it may be, I want us, I pray, and, and hold me accountable to this as well, that we step in and have these conversations together. Okay? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you, Father, that we can gather in this place and, and have, an, hopefully, Father, an honest conversation. We know that you are with us because you promise that you are. And we take you at your word. We thank you, Father, for the life that we have in Christ. We thank you, Father, for this time of gathering. We pray that you would send us forth in ways that we are looking at others anew every day and sharing who we are in Christ. Father, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.